0: live, although good luck proving it, from the Tsar of Muscovy's opulent dacha in Muscovy, It's Radio Gormagon. Well, today's is a solo effort from the Tsar in which we discussed one of my favorite topics, North Korea. Although lots of people talk about North Korea, it's not often viewed from a cultural point of view, and a lot of the weirdness and the lunacy that you see about North Korea is actually pretty easily understood if you understand that region's history and society. Korea is not Japan. It's definitely not China. Korea is and always will be its own thing. Now it's been said that a Korean man would quit a multi-million dollar job as a bank vice president just to open a corner ice cream stand provided his business card said President. Now, That's not meant as a crude Korean joke. That's a salient observation in understanding North Korea. North Korea is based on the concept of Juche or self-reliance. Now, we started hearing that in the late 1990s, although Kim Il-sung made it part of North Korea's operating system in 1972. But the fact is Juche goes back many centuries. Uh, The Korean Peninsula used to be divided into three kingdoms, although some Chinese and Japanese colonies made it more like five. But in the 660s AD, the uh, Kingdom of Silla, located in the southeast, knocked out Baekje in the southwest. And then in 668, the combined kingdoms Silla and Chi, went north and took on the much, much larger Koguryo, big, big chunk of uh, what is today all of North Korea and is a huge chunk of Manchuria. Um, and Manchuria is the region of modern China that borders Korea. If you're not familiar with that term, the little guys beat Koguryo and unified the entire peninsula as its own country. This didn't go terribly well. Uh, Mongolia used Korea as a path to invade Japan time and again. This annoyed the Koreans who struggled against waves of Mongolian armies and annoyed the besieged Japanese uh, who came to describe Korea as a dagger aimed at the heart of Japan. Eventually, the unified Korea collapsed under all this back and forth. Uh, In fact, a Korean proverb says that shrimp's backs are often broken in a fight between whales and Korea, as the country was then called, was definitely a shrimp between the, the big whales of Mongolia and Japan. In 1388, a new government took over Korea. The Yi dynasty hardened itself against uh, these types of attacks and became what is now known as the Hermit Kingdom. Uh, nothing got out of Korea, but at the same time, nothing got in, which was the point of the defense. Now inside Korea, though, a lot did happen. They developed their own alphabet, which is still in use today, uh, which caused literacy rates to skyrocket to 99%. And keep in mind, this is in an age when other countries could barely read or write except for a couple of nobles. Uh, They developed movable-type presses and advanced ceramics, uh, amazing feats of architectural engineering, outstanding artwork, uh, which frankly surpassed anything that China or Japan was doing for at least another 300 years, even the uh, metallurgy that produced the uh, s- famous samurai swords uh, in Japan's 16th century, uh, that actually was developed in the Yi Dynasty in Korea centuries before that. Uh, in fact, Korean swords were, were pretty much a better deal than uh, Japanese-made ones for quite a while. So really, the Yi Dynasty was as close to a golden age as Korea would ever know, and it was definitely a hermit kingdom. It was all Juche uh, every day, every night. They exported little, and they, believe me, they imported even less. Now this this lasted until 1905. So bear in mind that's you know 1388 to 1905. That's a massive run of success. Uh, in 1905, the Japanese Empire forced the Yi Dynasty to open up, you know, just a little bit. Uh, A little light trading, and join the 20th century, a little lighten up, you guys, you know. So Korea did, and five years later, the Japanese military invaded in force, disarmed them, and set about eliminating Korean culture. Uh, Language, dress, music, arts, foods, everything, uh, Korean was all suppressed, and Koreans were forced to adopt Japanese culture, often at gunpoint. Uh, In other words, the, the one time Korea allowed a little leniency in its culture, it was effectively destroyed years later, until 1945. Now, you may remember that Japan was having uh, imperial entanglements, specifically with the Russian Empire. In 1895 and 1905, Japan fought some serious uh, naval battles with Russia, and at the end of World War II, the Soviets and Americans swept into Korea and pushed the Japanese back and out. Many of the older Soviet generals and admirals were young men in 1895 and 1905, and they remembered how vicious the Japanese were. The Soviets also noticed that Korea is a dagger aimed at the heart of Japan, and if you control Korea, you can suppress Japan a little more easily. Well, our State Department figured out that the Soviets were trying to take over all of Korea, and they realized that communists would control Korea and thereby could take over Japan, too, if given enough time. So the Americans uh, proposed dividing Korea between North and South, and America picked the South because Korea's capital, Seoul, was there, uh, which meant a vast majority of the country would be free. Now, to our surprise, the Soviets agreed to every term every term submitted in the first draft of that proposal, and this surprised us because it seemed that the communists were willing to capitulate on Korea and therefore Japan. Well, the problem with this assumption was that Americans always viewed communism as a single global conspiracy and not a bunch of little and not so little fiefdoms. So the reality of the situation was far simpler. The Soviets knew that if Americans were in South Korea, Japan would be thwarted, and China would not be able to dominate Korea if they went communist, which, you know, of course they did in 1949. So the Soviets' willingness to give us half of Korea wasn't a surrender, it was simple pragmatism. I mean, everybody wins here, except Japan and China, and the Soviet Union was cool with that. All right, so now you have North Korea run by communists. Uh, Kim Il-sung and the Kims that followed him had and have a straightforward choice. How do we run North Korea successfully? If you're Korean... You have only one answer, right? The Yi Dynasty was the only point in Korean history where, arguably things were better for more Koreans than not. So North Korea becomes a hermit kingdom again. Nothing in, nothing out. You want self-respect? You call yourself president of your corner ice cream stand. And you do this by relying on nobody but yourself. And that's Juche. That's the whole idea there. So if you want to humiliate a, a white, liberal, young college communist, and really who doesn't, bring up the Korean experiment. You know, in 1945, Korea was a perfect laboratory. You know, it was divided in half. Uh, Communism was fully implemented in the North, free market capitalism fully in the South. And that was really the only difference between the two countries at that starting point. Uh, You know, none of this communism hasn't been fully or properly tried crap. You know, it it was in North Korea, according to strict Marxist ideas. Uh, And in five years, it was so starved and insane that it went on a suicide mission that failed, of course, by invading the South. Now, by 1960, five years after that invasion devastated the South, Korea had a booming economy, uh, South Korea, that is. Through the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and the 21st century, South Korea has grown. I mean, it's fabulous literacy, outstanding cutting-edge technology, excellent lifespan and health care, and a first-world lifestyle. Also, its culture is back. Uh, food, religion, dress, customs, festivals, everything that they lost under Japan, it's all back in, in the South on the other hand, is exactly what communism always delivers, starvation, destitution, and corruption. It's still 1945 there. Nothing is advanced, nothing is exported, except, of course, propaganda, saying otherwise. Uh, Juche has not delivered the respect of the world. So the Kims, watching Pakistan, realized nuclear weapons could be the key. Uh, Suddenly, Pakistan went from an annoying backwater parasite country into a full world player just because they got nuclear weapons. And look at how things evened out between India and Pakistan, right? So now the Norks have nukes, and because it's still 1945 there, all they have is atomic bombs. But uh, as North Korea has begun to work on intercontinental delivery systems, uh, the world is concerned. Don't fool yourself. Uh, North Korea could easily hurl atomic bombs into South Korea, killing millions using simple conventional delivery means like big cannons. They've got them, and they're everywhere. Uh, North Korea wants self-respect, and if they have to risk or really guarantee their total destruction by using a nuclear weapon, they will. Total destruction is better to them than letting America, China, or Japan or Mongolia erase Korean culture yet again by surrendering Korean history. And again, Korean history for the North proves that all or nothing is the best solution to the standoff. North Korea is all in on this poker game because they came in with nothing. So what do we do about North Korea? Well, if you're Truman, you set it up for Eisenhower to deal with it. Like Eisenhower left it to Kennedy, and tragically, Kennedy was forced to leave it to Johnson. Johnson left it to Nixon, then Ford, and Ford let Carter handle it. Carter left it to Reagan, who left it to Bush, uh, then a Clinton, then another Bush. Uh, Obama found North Korea waiting for him, and he left it to Trump. So you see the pattern here. America always leaves North Korea to the next president. Well, why is that? Every assessment of North Korea, political, sociological, military, economic, concludes that North Korea has about two or three years of life left. That's it. They can't go any further than than where they're at right now. The leadership is top-heavy. The politics more volatile than is admitted. Uh, The military brass is pushing 70 years old on average. And there's no food. There's nothing to do about North Korea except to let it collapse. If it doesn't, and it hasn't, well, just leave it its inevitable collapse for the next president. Maybe Trump will too, or maybe he'll be seeing it differently. And so far, he's seeing it a little differently. I think his administration is starting to realize that North Korea isn't going to collapse for a long time without help, and is getting progressively more deadly to earn that self-respect. And by the way, By assuming that North Korea is tapped out and will just fade away, that positively pisses the North Koreans off. Because instead of looking at the part of the business card that says President, you're looking at the part of the card that says Corner Ice Cream Stand. And this disconnect between how we see North Korea and how it demands to be seen actually exacerbates North Korean aggression. They intend to be taken seriously. And the more we shrug, the more aggressive they feel they have to be. And For generations, American policy has always assumed that China is the key player here. I I think that's incorrect. I think China has no clue what to do about North Korea either. They're just very good at lying about it. Regular readers of of our site know that I like to paint a strange picture of China and North Korea. In the family of East Asia, North Korea is this abusive, foul-tempered, frequently drunk, nutjob uncle who lives in the woods in a cabin, and he ruins every family get-together by insulting everyone, ridiculing their politics, and then dropping his pants while standing on a chair. And they hate having him around, and they hardly ever do so, unless it's a family wedding or funeral or other major thing. And poor China. She's the mature niece with a calming, patient attitude, who gently eases him down from the chair and throws a towel around his waist and drives him home until the next wedding or funeral where they're compelled to invite him. Look, he's just Uncle Nork. What are you going to do, right? Well, the truth is that China doesn't see it that way. What, what China patiently sees is not North Korea, but South Korea. Billions, maybe trillions of dollars of opportunity. China knows communism lost in Korea. America won. Okay, America won. South Korea is a living, vibrant, money-making engine for America. And China wants that. Of course, South Korea is forever in America's pocket. But look at North Korea. What would happen if North Korea fell? Well, it would depend on how it collapsed. If it collapses on its own, South Korea takes over, like West Germany in 1989, and the country reunifies. And all that money comes flooding in, and all that wealth gets sent to America. If the United States military intervenes, well, for sure it goes the way of South Korea, like Japan and Germany and Italy. Again, all that money is lost. But on the other hand, if North Korea transitioned out of power due to sanctions and diplomacy, well... China's already sort of invested in there, mostly in a black market sense, yeah, but there is a fair amount of import and export going on. If North Korea went that way, China would be in a position to dump investment money there, and soon North Korea is in another Hong Kong or Shanghai. Trillions of, of dollars correcting China's Potemkin economy. But China knows it can't just go in and take over North Korea. South Korea would complain and intervene, and the United States would start a trade war that China couldn't possibly win. But if you stall American intervention and influence there, then probably you tip the fall of North Korea in your direction. So China is aware that Uncle Nork is definitely an obnoxious drunk mess. But he's also an obnoxious drunk mess who happens to have a really nice chunk of lakefront property uh, that his cabin in the woods is on. That's worth a hell of a lot of money. Now when he dies, he's going to have to leave that house to somebody. And there's China you know, who was always nice and took care of him, even though he insulted her, too. And she's going to sell that property off to developers and be set for life. Well, that's China, and that's why she pretends to be in charge. She wants the property. It's also why she doesn't help us here, uh, because that crazy uncle could go in a different direction with his nest egg. So China pretends to help, knowing that when it comes down to it, doing nothing is a better financial plan. Uh, Now that you understand North Korean psychology as well as Chinese motivation, what do we do? I mean, what is to be done? Well, commonly there are three options. One, we negotiate and bribe North Korea with sanctions and allowances for good behavior. And this is really what every president has done since Truman, more or less. So it's uh, really only benefited North Korea so far. It could even benefit China, if you believe my idea about her viewing North Korea as a great future investment. Until then, North Korea is a great source for cheap labor and a decent black market buyer of Chinese goods that just won't sell anywhere else. Two, uh, we can do a military response, which President Trump is posing as a possibility by ramping up military presence around the peninsula. Now, this is bad for South Korea, and it's bad for China. Uh, You may not know, already, the Chinese military is massing on the North Korean border. It's building nuclear and chemical-proof bunkers. It's installing long-range cameras, running defensive drills against simulated North Korean tanks and infantry. China, you see, is they're not afraid of an American attack. They're terrified that millions of North Koreans, good and bad, are going to swarm into Manchuria. And of course, a military hit could be good economically for Taiwan and Japan, who will see decreased competition from South Korea and China while they're occupied with a war. Uh, in fact, the uh, Philippines and Indonesian economies can see a kick, too, if buyers go elsewhere. Uh... Even though the North Korean military would likely be knocked out by Americans in days, uh, maybe less by some assessments, maybe hours, uh, we seem to be able to shoot down simulated North Korean rockets easily. Uh, South Korea, with minimal loss of life, could still be hurt economically by absorbing the long-term effects of North Korean communism. Now, you remember back when West Germany took over East Germany? Uh, Things weren't really that great for German business for a while uh, thereafter. and In fact, a lot of Europe suffered as well economically for a little while in the early 90s uh, because of that reunification. It took a lot of repair, and South Korea can't afford to let her neighbor steamroll past her. Three, we can do nothing and learn to live with a nuclear North Korea periodically threatening to blow somebody up. Uh, Sadly, this is probably what will happen, and we learn to live with Pakistan just as we learn to live with China having nukes. But even though this is the case, there's a couple of options we have that can make life really uncomfortable for China and North Korea. First, for example, we can uh, continue deploying the uh, THAAD uh, rocket systems in the area. We've already demonstrated, if you've noticed the side stories under the Kardashian full page spreads, that our Navy has been able to hit even small missiles launched from one part of the Pacific, Uh, with anti-missile rockets launched from a long distance away. Basically, we're showing North Korea, and certainly we're showing China, that a, uh, a missile launched from the DMZ can be taken out pretty much right away from ships in international waters. And as we put these defensive missile systems around South Korea, it's annoying the hell out of the Chinese, because it means if we can do this to North Korean ICBMs, we sure as hell can do it to a lumbering Chinese behemoth anywhere at any time. Uh, So in other words, we're slowly disarming Chinese nuclear arsenal effectiveness. And this is visibly bad for China, but don't worry if you haven't heard about this deployment or this development, because China has. Another thing we can do is start a small trade skirmish with China. Uh, Maybe deny some real estate purchases here in the States, or a few, maybe block a couple dozen Chinese students from attending American STEM schools or living high on the hog in Los Angeles upscale apartments. Now believe it or not, there's there's no real economic cost to us doing this, but it will enrage the Chinese who have come to view America as, as the playground for their nouveau riche. It seems small, but the effect on Chinese prestige will be pretty big, and that will encourage them to get involved in North Korea. Now a third thing we can do, and this is major, is to start talking to South Korea and Japan about nuclear deterrence. Hey, if North Korea views itself as Pakistan, they need to remember that India developed nuclear programs as well in response. Now, this won't bother North Korea, but imagine China's jaw-dropping if South Korea or Japan got nuclear weapons on their soil. Or Taiwan. That would be an instant game-changer. And while Korea, Japan, and Taiwan will probably not seriously want our nukes on their shores, and while we'd never actually do it if they did, the idea that China's inability to engage North Korea might lead to a type of nuclear escalation in our own backyard would be a public relations disaster for them. So, in other words, we need to make it clear to China that North Korea is never going to be a good return on investment. So, don't even try. It's time for China to act like a superpower and control its own neighborhood rather than look at things as financial risks or rewards. If we do these things, China begins to realize that every option for them is a losing one. Its only hope at having any role to play in North Korea, any hope of getting money out of North Korea, is to help kill its black market and starve its leadership instead of its citizens let the country dissipate naturally, and uh, then maybe there's a little more even playing ground for China. Unfortunately, uh, although there are flickering signs that the Trump administration is looking at all three of these options, I, I kind of suspect we're going to do none of these things, and North Korea will be a nuclear threat lobbing impotent rockets into the sea and blowing up mountains with atomic bombs for the next 25 years every time it you know wants more H- Hennessy cognac or pizza. And President Donald Trump will leave this as a problem for President Kid Rock and then President Guy Fieri after him. So it goes. Well, until next time, the Boers always are hungry, so it's time for me to open up their cage door while one of my less useful serfs is pulling weeds on the lawn. The kids get a kick out of watching the serfs run. What, what happens next, not so much, but I'm working on desensitizing them to the blood. So, do vidanie, do bye-bye.